morning, church family. We have an opportunity to take a moment for a spiritual preparation, so let's pause for a moment of silence and utilize 1 John 1, 9 if need to, and then I'll open with prayer. With our heads bowed. Father, once again, we are grateful that we can assemble together on a Sunday morning to worship you in spirit and in truth. If there's anything vying for our attention, I pray that we would be disciplined enough to lay those aside for the moment so that we can focus on thee and focus on thy word. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Our call to worship this morning is taken from Psalms 73. Psalms 73. What I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to read it from the New King James, but before we do, I'd like to read it from one other translation, another English translation. And I just want you to listen so that you can hear the flow of this Psalms because I think it's very important. Psalm 73, beginning with verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping, and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. You ever feel like that? They seem to live such painless lives, and their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace and clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. You like that translation? These fat cats have everything their hearts could wish for. Verse 8. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride, they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens, and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Verse 13, did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. When they arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. 
Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I have no one. I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. Of course, that's the NLT. That's why it sounds so loose. So I'm going to read it now in the New King James and do it properly. So I'm sorry we're going to look at this twice, but I wanted you to get the sense from an English translation that just is so easy to understand. The frustration sometimes we have when we look around. Listen to the New King James of Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel. and He's good to us as well. To such are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the boastful, verse 3, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So here's a man who was jealous and envious of those who were boastful. And when he saw the prosperity of the wicked, so that seems to be the nature of man. We, can, we have a tendency to be envious of others when our eyes are focused on others rather than on God. It goes on to say in verse 4, There are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. They seem to be prospering no matter what. Nor are they plagued like any other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. They think they're getting away with everything. They're so boastful. They're saying, I don't have to be a believer in God. Violence covers them like a garment. That's their lifestyle. Their eyes bulge with abundance. Verse 7. They have more than heart could wish. They scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. And they set their mouths against the heavens. I don't believe in God. I can do whatever I want. I'm God. And their tongue walks through the earth. Verse 10. Therefore his people return here. Waters are f- of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, how does God know? Isn't he dead today? And is their knowledge in the most high Behold, there are the ungodly, they are the ungodly, who are always at ease. They don't worry about a thing. They just are happy because they get their way. Verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who are, the, who are always at ease. They increase in riches, and surely I've cleansed my heart in vain, and i washed my hands in innocence. 
For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Complain, complain, complain until I went back to God, till I went back to the sanctuary at National Capital Bible Church. Then I understood their end. Surely I set them to slippery places. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They're utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awakes. So, Lord, when you awake, you shall despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved and I was vexed in my mind. I was so foolish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? I have no one. I only have you. And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So although our health may fail and our hearts may fail, God is the strength of our person, my heart and my portion forever. Verse 27. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may may declare all your works. So please notice the last verse here and then we'll look into the study this morning. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. So let's declare all his works to the people that we know and advance the cause of Christ. As you know, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. But as many as received him, to them he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. That, as as I've said each and every morning, is the essence of salvation. Believe, believe, believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The the simplicity of the gospel is wrapped up in the one word, believe. We don't have to convince people that God is real. They know he's real in their hearts, in their being, according to Romans chapter 1. 
If they don't believe and they suppress the truth, they are making themselves as an atheist. But even the scripture says there is no such thing as an atheist. All know of him. God has revealed that to him from his word from creation. It thunders loud and clearly. So now we're going to move through our series, and we're going to look at just a few uh, slides this morning. There's not a lot. We're not going to look at 40 slides today, just 39. (laughs) So we're going to look at the crowns. We're just going to touch on the various crowns. I did take the first two from the Bible Doctrine Dictionary, from Colonel Thiem's Dictionary. And then we're going to look again in a few verses from James. Because as I'd said before, I think James is loaded with a lot of verses that relate to phase two salvation or discipleship. We're not going to cover the entire book. We're just going to look at certain verses that I think are going to be very apropos for this particular type of study. So having said that, Let me open up the slides here. We've been building on this slide here, as you know, the three tenses of salvation. Can anybody summarize this for me? What's going on with these three tenses? What do we know about phase one? If you were to share this with your new believing friend, what would you tell them in essence? What's the essence of phase one salvation? Faith alone in Christ alone. Very good. What else can we say about phase one? Is that a one-time deal? Okay, very good. Anything else? What, what happens when a person goes through phase one? What do we call them? Regenerate, justified. justified, very good. What else? Reconciled. What are they? Once they believe, what happens? What do we call them after that? <clears throat> hmm? Cog, very good. A child of God. And what was that, Scott? <clears throat> One with Christ, very good. So this is important to know because I know that you guys know this, but I am the type of pastor that likes to interact because I think learning is going to easily come when you voice these things out. That's why in school, you ever notice that the teachers will ask for questions, ask people to get get up and write things on the board? I think if we engage in a conversation, it's following the style of Christ. Jesus did that a lot especially when he was younger. He would teach in the synagogues, right? So how about phase two? Help me out with phase two. What's the significance of phase two? Hmm? Costly. Very good. What's that mean? Uh, Okay, very good. Work at what? Good to see you, Theron. Sanctification. Okay, in simple terms, what's that mean for the average new believer, baby in Christ? Sanctification, that sounds like a that sounds like a theological word. I don't get that. 
What's sanctification? Growing spiritually. And how does one grow spiritually? Know more, learn more, knowledge of which one? Knowledge of the Word of God. Very good. So, I'm a new convert. I believed in Christ last night. What's my? What's the next step for me? Staying in fellowship. Oh, very good. And wh- how do I stay in fellowship, though? You mean fellowship with God? Okay, so rebound. So I, I just got to go play basketball? What's rebound? I, I don't... No, see, I say this not to make fun of anybody. Oh, slash confession. I I did not hear the slash confession. But see, this is good because as we're interacting as a as a church family, I want us to recall and remember that we sometimes use terms that other Christians may not be familiar with. So we have to downshift and say, wait a minute, do they even understand what rebound is, right? Because we want, we want to make sure we're taking them where they need to go. So if we're saying rebound, we all know rebound is confession of sin. But if you're a new believer in Christ, they may not know what that means. So we have to make sure they know what it means. We know what it means, but that may not necessarily mean that they do. And this is, I think, one of the things that we have to be cognizant of. Because when we interact with new converts or even those who are believers, they may not be familiar with the terms that we're familiar with. So we say Operation Z, gap, you know, gap, huh? We lose them. They don't know this. These are very specialized vocabulary terms, right? So, but I'm, I'm concerned about those who have just passed through phase one. Now we're talking about them growing in phase two. And Theron said something very, very important. It's costly. What does it mean that I got to dish out, dole out some money? Brian's like, yeah. In what sense? Brian, you're right. I think you're right. Why is it costly financially? Listen to that. Is he saying truth here? You might lose friends. You might lose friends. You you might lose friends. You might lose family. That is a reality. That is so true. Oh, Vanessa? Ah, very good. You might lose free time. Free time for self. Free time for family. That's absolutely right. Is that true? Does it, can anybody? Darren? You lose time for self. So if we do, that would be considered costly then, right? Sacrificial. Now what's on the upswings? Say we do sacrifice. What's the benefit for the new believer? Growth. So how do we put that in simple terms if you're trying to encourage them to stay in phase two and say, hey, 
Keep confessing, keep sticking with the word, keep growing. You know, you might lose your family, you might lose friends, but keep going, keep, keep focused on phase two. What else can we say to encourage them to barrel through phase two? Because the truth is, yeah, you might lose family, you might lose friends. What? You're studying the Bible? Can't you relax a little bit? All you do is study the Bible. Bible, Bible, Bible. Aren't you good for anything else except the Bible? Come on, Brian. You, you got to relax, man. Right? I mean, that tends to happen. So this is very important because I believe, just like Vanessa said, a lot of people don't want to be involved with church. They don't want to inv- be involved with Bible studies because it's too. it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time. Come to Wednesday Bible class. Why? I could be at home. I could listen to it at home. Is that not true? Isn't that some of the things that we're hearing today? Why why go to church? I can listen to it online and just Zoom it. How do we counter that properly? Right. Like my very good. Take it in, there's a lot of immutability, immutability in the faith between virtue and life. And so it's not just about preaching things like that. Excellent. Two things are going face to face and then looking Excellent. So Renewing your mind. Very good. So, uh, Vanessa? Well, I'm, so I, I'm trying to think about it. Yeah, yeah, please. It's going to inform my point that I was saying. I think one of the most important parts of this too is that we kind of live out God's plan for life. Mm-hmm. And that's going to bring you the most joy. So that's going to show the most love. That's going to give us the heart to keep going because that's going to bring you the most joy. Mm-hmm. Because it's special things for us. Mm-hmm. Excellent, Vanessa. That is so true. And Scott, you, you hit it on the head. You need to assemble together as believers, right? That, first of all, that's a mandate. That's not optional. Do not forsake the assembling of saints, Hebrews 10. So we're commanded to assemble together for that purpose, the edifying and equipping of the saints. That is so important. Phase two. Now, I'm saying this, and I know, again, I know you're familiar with this, but by way of review and to be clear on this, it is going to be costly. It is going to be sacrificial on our parts because that's where we're at right now. We don't, Hal said, we don't have to worry about being a cog anymore. Uh, It's a one-time deal, right, Hal? So our focus is now on phase two. We have believing friends and family members who may not understand the importance of going to church. Let's be, let's be real here. They don't want to go to church because it's, gas is expensive today. Right? It's, it's too expensive. Why should I go to church when I can stay home and learn this stuff? They, they're going to say that. There's a lot of things online today. Well, I know you're supposed to go to church, but am I not the church? Are we not the church? 
And you sound, you look like you're going to say something. Are we not the church? Can't I? So we're turning in our human weaknesses for God's strength as we pull together. See, we're a family here. We're a family and we, we, there's a dynamics that can't be replicated at home. And so the truth is, it's easier to study when we're in a group like this. How often do we open our Bibles at home? Because now the busyness of life and the the thing of, oh, I need time for myself, that starts to kick in, and it's easy to justify that, right? You know, well, I have kids, I have family, I have a husband and wife, i got to do the laundry. Those things now start to amplify when you're by yourself. But when you're with a church body, it makes it easier for you to open the Word of God and study it, rather than being at home by yourself. And phase three, we don't have to worry about because that's taking place, what, in two weeks? Right? So that's when the rapture takes place or we take our last breath. So now, <clears throat> recall, we looked at our, the last verse we camped on was James 1.5. And here's what I have to say about that. We learn the doctrine of trials from chapter 1, 2 through 5. Okay. Verses 2 and 4 form bookends. What to do amidst the various trials? What do we do according to verse 2? James 1, 2. Anybody remember? Count it all joy. How do we count it all joy? Perseverance. Is it perseverance? Uh, something we just hang on there and just... Tough it out? Okay, so when you understand the will of God and you, you're able, it motivates you to stay in it longer, right? You know that there is an advantage to going through the trials because verse 4 tells us that the objective of the trial in life is to bring us to maturity. To make us complete and perfect. Think about that. The objective of the test, what, what is being tested according to verse 2, verse 3? Faith. The, the testing of your faith. The testing of your faith in God. It's taking place during the time of trials. We all go through hardship. So the testing of your faith in God amidst the trials is designed to build you up, to bring you to maturity. It's the spiritual advance when we're advancing to higher grounds. It's when the testing of our faith is taking place. Because look at um, Everett, can you read verse 4? guys hear that you'll be perfect and complete how many of you want to be perfect and complete it's the idea of spiritual advance your maturity is being 
forged as you're going through the trial. In fact, it's the testing of your faith that allows you to advance to higher grounds. The fortification of your faith in God is being tested. Now, we don't like that. Human nature is, uh, we don't want the trial. We don't want the problem. God, why are you letting this happen? We're going to see in a moment that there is two uses uses of the same word in James 1. And that word is parasmas. It's found twice in James 1, parasmas. So, but please notice, what do you do if you can't count it all joy? Ask. Well, look at verse 5. It's in front of you. If any of you lacks what? You don't get it. I don't understand why I'm going through the hardship. If any of you lacks the wisdom in understanding how verse 2 and 3 and 4 can be a reality in your life, I don't care about maturing. I don't want to be complete and lacking nothing. So what? If you're having that mental attitude of, I, I don't care, Verse 5 says, if you lack the wisdom and understanding, after I've just got done telling you why, that it's, uh, it's fortifying your faith, the testing of your faith will result in completeness and maturity. If you don't get that, ask of God, who will give to you liberally and without reproach. He's not going to complain. You just have to go to him. And it will be what? It'll be given. We sometimes stop there. We don't want to ask. We just want to complain. We're the Martha. Lord, why? Tell my sister to help me. If we lack wisdom amidst a crisis, that's the time we go to God and say, Lord, I don't get this. Your word says it's going to make me complete and mature. How? Somehow it will be given to you. That's according to James 1.5. And how many times have you gone through something and one week later say, you know what? I see God's picture now. I see what God was doing. I just didn't see it at the time. My wife and I can say that. We've, we've had experiences in our life where we didn't get what we were going through at the moment. But later on, we'll sometimes say, wow, it's amazing where God brought us today. It's amazing what God has been doing. We didn't know it at the time, but I tell you, we sometimes will pause and just sit there and talk and say, imagine all this time we, were, we had big question marks in our, in our minds, and God later on reveals to us what he's doing. So if you lack the wisdom and understanding, we can go to him in great confidence. Let him ask of God who gives to all liberally, and without reproach. He's not going to complain, in other words. And it will be given. So now, verse 12. That was verse 5. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So notice the reward comes after the testing. You see that? 
Blessed is the man, Makarios is the man who endures temptation. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive what? Crown. That is a promise for those who will endure the temptation. Okay? For the Lord who has promised to those who love him. I'm going to comment on the tail end of verse 12 in just a moment. But please look at the verse. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So you've got the the word there, parasmas. Anybody know when the first time we saw that word, parasmas? We saw it a few weeks ago, maybe a month or two ago. Parasmas for temptation. Verse 2. Verse 2. Count it all joy when you encounter what? Trials. That's the word parasmas right there. So now, the word here is temptation, parasmas. Why is that? Is it trials or temptation? Hmm? Yes, it is. Hal said yes. There's a range of meaning, trials and temptation. But please notice this. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. In verse 2, it's trials. Here, it's temptation. Your translation might render it trials. Anybody have a New American Standard or NIV? What does your say, Ann? Under trials. And Scott, what does your say? I hear the rustling of pages from Scott. He has a Bible. Very good. And Ann, what translation is yours? Nasby. Nasby, okay. Okay, so you have trials as well. Here, the New King James and the King James renders it as temptation. That's a uh, translation, uh, the committee's decision. And in here, the New King James renders it as temptation, but there's a range of meaning. It could be trials, it could be temptation. But I want you to see something, even just looking at this verse here alone. Who will receive the crown of life? What's that? Um, The winner believer? Okay, very good. And what does that mean? Okay, very good. Now, according to this one verse, look at the verse, observe the text. Who is it given to? Huh? Those who love him. So can we make the connection here? Whoever endures temptation is the person who loves God. Instead of caving into the various temptations of life, you're fighting it, you're resisting it under the influence of God the Holy Spirit. Thus, you will receive the crown of life for persevering. Verse 2 talks about a trial, counting it all joy. 
but the attack there is toward the testing is of your faith. The testing of your faith produces endurance. Whereas in verse 12, blessed, makarios, is the one, is the person who endures parasmas. So here, blessed is the man who endures temptation. Could this be that not only, as Scott mentioned earlier, not only is this person a winner, believer, because he's endured the trials of verse 2, but in verse 12, this is a person who's enduring because that word hupomeno is remain or bear up, bearing up under the temptations of life. You see that? Blessed is the man who endures, and that idea is remaining, being focused, steadfast in God, resisting the temptations that will come towards us in life. We're going to get hit. Remember, count it all joy. But verse 2 is targeting your faith. Count it all joy when you encounter trials and tribulations, knowing that the testing of Scott, does it say that? It says the testing of Scott's faith. Here, blessed is the man who endures not trials, but temptation. The word temptation and trial is the same Greek word. But in the context of verse 12, we see that the person who endures the temptation, same word, parasmas, when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord promised to those who love him. So it seems from the one verse that the enduring of temptation, being able to resist, being able to bear up, being able to remain steadfast, enduring the temptation, he will receive, you will receive, we will receive the crown of life which has been promised to those who love him. What does it mean to love God? Obedience. Where does that come from, Bill? John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Or if you love me, obey me. Look at what it says here. It is promised to those who love him. Link that back with temptation. Blessed is the man who endures and bears up under the temptations of life. The temptations that will come. When you resist and you do everything you can to resist the temptations of life, because we're going to get slaughtered with temptation, right? The reality is, is that we're, we have sin nature. We're going to be tempted. What's an example? What's, let's not just think of the obvious sexual. What are some of the temptations that we can face? How about not trusting God? How about when going through a trial saying, I can't count this all joy, not trusting in God. How about when finances are falling apart? Saying, well, Lord, I know I can trust you. you. You've given me salvation. However, I have to pay bills at the end of the month. Is that possible that you can be tempted to not honor God and trust in him? Yes, that's temptation. If you endure temptation to not no longer trust God or obey God, verse 12, promise to those who love God, 
Trusting in him has the idea of obeying God amidst all the temptations of life, the trials that come up in verse 2. When you take the trials that's targeting your faith, designed to build you stronger and make you complete and more mature, spiritual advance. And then when you get to verse 12, when you get hit with temptations, and I think contextually, it has the idea of no longer loving God, a.k.a. obeying God. If you love me, obey me. Promise to those who love him. Can you see the connection here? If you love him, you will what? Obey him. So when we endure the temptation, I think contextually we can see from chapter 1 alone, the whole force of chapter 1 is walking by faith, trusting in him in spite of what we see in our lives. When we don't want to, when, when we're getting slaughtered with trials, we can know that it's for our own good. It's going to fortify our endurance, our patience, verse 4. And then we, when we get to verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Temptation to what? No longer obey God. No longer trust God. I have personal problems. I, and so it's very easy for us to go AWOL and no longer trust God. By the way, what's the difference between a trial and a temptation? Okay, without? Okay, very good, Scott. What what else? What can what else can we say about trials and temptations? You're talking to your new believing friend or family member. Okay, trials you're going through. Okay, we don't go through something when we're being tempted. I think you're right, but what what about temptation? Can be okay. Temptations can be self-induced. Very good. Can trials be self-induced? Also from the outside. Okay. What else? That's good. Let's let's try to uh, tighten this up. Well, well, look at verse 13. Let's, can you read verse 13, Scott? Okay, so no one, when we're being tempted, it, no, it doesn't come from who? It doesn't come from God. So there is a, uh, what's that, Bill? World, flesh, and devil. Three, pl- three entry points. World, flesh, and devil. Right? So we don't get tempted by God. So here's the word temptation. So why did James have to say God doesn't tempt anyone? So again, what is the difference between a trial and a temptation? Verse 2 and verse 3. Or verse 12. Trials are from God. Okay, very good. Trials are from God. Well, you've got, um, can the devil and God be working at the same time? 
can the same situation be um, coming from God and the devil? See, I see, Bill, I, I think you're right. Uh, a trial comes from God, whereas a temptation comes from the devil or even self because of the sin nature. Hmm? Other people. God does use all of them to further his plan. It just depends on how we respond. Right? We either react or respond. That was right. And who that come from? Well, who attacked who? So, so it always has to pass through God's will. God has to permit it, right? So did Job lose a lot? Lost everything, right? So a trial, the end result will be something advantageous or beneficial for the believer. A temptation usually has the solicitation to operate apart from God. And it usually results in sin. Temptation is usually designed to cause one to sin. Temptation has that idea of wanting causing us to do things apart from God's plan, God's will. Okay. Yes, Rick. Okay. Yeah, actually, that's what we're going to look at next. There are five crowns. We're going to look briefly at the crown, so I'll I'll go through that. (laughs) Very good. See? Doctrine of crowns. You read my notes, Rick. So the first two crowns are taken from Themes Bible Doctrine Dictionary, okay? The first crown is called the crowns of righteousness and life. Again, the number one and two, he only lists two in under crowns. So crowns of righteousness in life describes the mature believer's capacity to receive and enjoy greater blessings of the eternal state, 2 Timothy 4.8. The crown of life honors the mature believer's perseverance under what? Testing. And his use of spiritual skills while on earth. What is spiritual skills? Taking the word, applying the word, being filled with the spirit. Those are all part and parcel of spiritual skills. Recognizing that we need the Holy Spirit. James 1.12, Revelation 2.10. Together, these two rewards indicate maximum production of divine good, occupation with Christ, and the positive impact of that believer's life on human history. That's probably why you've heard me 
before we close the service, I've often said we got to advance the cause of Christ, right? We make the impact on our culture today as we advance the cause of Christ. So that's the crown of righteousness and life. That's crown number one. Crown number two, again, taken from the Bible Doctrine Dictionary. Crown of glory. The eternal decoration, especially... Dan, can you come up here, please? I want to read this when Dan is up here. Come on up here, Dan. Because I think this represents... Come here. The eternal decoration is specially designated for pastors who faithfully communicate the word of God. Hebrews 6.10. The one who obeys the command to shepherd the flock of God. Whatever the size of his local congregation... Not for his own gain, but according to God's will. Will be awarded this distinction once the chief shepherd appears to bring his church home. As part of his reward, the faithful pastor has the pleasure of presenting the mature members of his congregation before the Lord and watching them receive their eternal rewards. Philippians 4.11, 2 Thessalonians 2. 19 through 20. Do you think that fits, Pastor Dan? Thank you. Okay, thank you. That's the crown of glory. Crown two. Crown number three. Crown of rejoicing. First Thessalonians 2.19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing. Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? The Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians 4.4 to rejoice always in the Lord. For all the bountiful blessings our gracious God has showered upon us. As believers, we have more in this life to rejoice about than anyone else. Luke tells us there is rejoicing even now in heaven. Luke 15, 7. Does anybody remember what that verse is talking about? Luke 15, 7. When there's rejoicing in heaven, why is that? Why are the angels rejoicing in heaven? When one sinner repents. The crown of rejoicing will be our reward where God will wipe away every tear And there shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no crying. And there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Revelation 21.4 Number four, the imperishable crown. 1 Corinthians 9.24-25 Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain it. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate, disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown. It doesn't last forever. 
But we, for an imperishable crown, all things on this earth are subject to decay and will perish. Jesus urges us to not store our treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, Matthew 6.19. This is analogous to what Paul was saying about the crown that falls apart. But not so the heavenly crown. Faithful endurance wins a heavenly reward, which is an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven. Last one. Crown of righteousness. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me that day, and not to me only, but unto them that love his appearing, Second Timothy 4.8. So this crown is for those who are eagerly awaiting his coming, love his appearing. Here the character of the reward corresponds to the character of the giver. Both are said to be righteous. The doctrine of our Lord's return is regarded very highly by God. In spite of the fact that Jesus said he would come again, there are many people who scoff at the thought of Christ appearing. This and kindred truths have brought suffering and hardship, and in some cases, death to those who insisted on preaching and teaching them. But how wonderful to know that God has prepared a special reward for all who look for that blessed hope, who wait for his Son from heaven, and who love his appearing. So you have five potential crowns there. So, uh, Rick, what was the question again? I know you had. Uh oh. That is from Bible Dictionary. I, I think it does. Advance. I've heard that too from theme. Yeah. Many of years. So. so now that takes us to the last two verses of James 1 that I want us to focus in on. And this is where we will conclude today. James 1.18 and James 1.19. I'll put them separately like this. 118 says the following, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Verse 19, James 1. So then, my beloved brethren, let, it, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So let's look at verse 18 first. Notice that God is the cause of the new birth. It comes about in the exercise of his will. The opening of verse 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by what? The word of truth. 
God's word. By God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. What does it mean when it says that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures? Church age believers, good. In the Old Testament, first fruits was always given to God because he was very important, right? That was his best. Israel would give their best to God because he was valued. Jehovah God was valued. They loved God, so they would give of their first fruits. Look at ver- having said that, look at verse 18 now with that in the backdrop. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. We're his value. He values us. We're his first fruits. See that in verse 18? Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of his truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. He places high value on us. We are special in the eyes of God. We're his first fruits. A kind of first fruits of his creatures. Look at that. He brought us out from his word that we might be a first fruits of his creature, the beginning of a massive harvest as people come to faith. But the word first fruits there has this sense of valuable. We're his valuable people in the sense that as his church, as believers in Christ, we are a kind of first fruits of his creature. That's amazing to think that he places great value in us and is saying to the world, these are my trophies. These are my first fruits. The local church, national capital. We're his kind of first fruits. He's putting us on display. And he sends us out. Israel would give their best because they love God. God is giving his best to the world. Amazing. See how valuable you are? You're his first fruits. And because of that, verse 19... If verse 18 is true, so then. So then points to the previous verse. So then, because of verse 18, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So notice, we're to be quick to hear. Speed associated with hearing suggests a readiness and eagerness to listen. See that? My beloved brethren, let every man be swift to what? Listen, to hear. So it's the readiness and the eagerness to listen. And second, we are to be slow to speak. How many of us have difficulty with that? Be slow to speak. Notice that speed is associated with the learning process And slowness is associated with the proclaiming process. So, swift to hear is linked to the learning process of the context of the person that you're listening to. So, 
swift to hear, slow to proclaim, slow to speak, slow to wrath. So slow to wrath is going to be dependent and contingent upon being swift to hear, slow to speak. We sometimes react and flare up. We get mad. What are you talking about? Why did that happen? James says, look, let everyone be swift to hear, slow to speak. So part of the learning process, part of a lot of relationships could be held together if we apply verse 19. We are quick to hear, slow to speak. We sometimes fumble over ourselves because we're quick to speak before they do. So James says, look, the equation to good rapport is swift to hear, slow to speak, which will result in being slow to wrath. That will help carry out verse 19, the tail end, being slow to wrath. We get angry sometimes because we want to be heard before them. So it says, listen, be eager to hear first, slow it down, when you speak, which will then result in being slow to wrath. And then we're going to see some other things next week, and uh, we will see where James is going with this, but this is where we will conclude this morning. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Father, thank you as always for giving us the opportunity to examine portions of your word. We recognize, Father, that there's so much to learn, and James 1 is heavy and loaded with good doctrine As far as our faith is concerned, learning how to count it all joy when we encounter trials, recognizing that it is aimed to the fortification of our faith, which will result in patience and endurance. And then we have a section that even talks about temptation, and we're reminded that no temptation comes from you, and you yourself can't be tempted, except in the sense to your son, Jesus, when he was being tempted in the garden, or not in Matthew chapter 4, when it was face to face with the devil himself. And so, Father, as we um, look and study at your word, we trust that we will make application to it so that we would be consistent with what James says in, in the book of James to not only be hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In simple terms, means to apply your word rather than just listening to your word or just studying your word. <clears throat> We ask and pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.